Hi, everyone, and welcome back to USTA Florida's Here to Serve podcast. My name is Laura Bowen, and I'm the Executive Director for USTA Florida. This week's topic is one of my favorites. We're going to talk about community tennis, what that means, and what the state of community tennis is right now in Florida, how we can work to get it back. Today, I have an entire team with me who's gonna help answer some of those questions. Um, and I'd like to introduce them to you now. First, we have Danielle Gooding. Danielle is our Director of Community Tennis and she's been with us for almost a year and a half right now. Danielle has an excellent background previously working for USTA National before she came over to work for us and really deliver community tennis programs. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks, Laura. Good to be here with everybody. We also have Magalie Holt. Magalie works in our community tennis department, and she is our community play coordinator. And Magalie has been with us since 2016, 17? 17, 17, 17. So almost three years she's been with us. She joined us when we moved to Orlando. Um, and I'll let Magalie tell you all a little bit about her background in just a little bit, but her job mainly is to focus on schools, after schools, and other community-based programs, and she's been doing that for us and doing an incredible job for the last few years. So welcome, Magalie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Last but certainly not least is Mr. Ronald Lyons, and uh, Ronald has worn several different hats for us uh, over the last few years. Uh, Ronald actually started with us as a part-tamer working on uh, junior team tennis and eventually league coordination, uh, has great experience with those programs. And then last year, Ronald made the shift over to the community tennis department as our diversity and outreach coordinator. So welcome, Ronald. Thank you, Laura. Uh, so my first question, uh, as you can see, is we have a, an awesomely diverse group here on our podcast. You all have different experiences, different backgrounds. So I wanted to kick things off by having each of you tell us how you got involved in tennis. So Mag, why don't I start with you? Yeah, so um, I started playing tennis. There was a community outreach in my area, so um, back in Montreal in Canada. So my parents brought me there and, you know, they had me do a little drills. And then from there, um, I just fell in love with the sport. Um, that was when I was nine, ten years old. And uh, I've continued playing tennis after afterwards, playing for, for nationals and then um, after that, I went on to play college tennis, uh, Division One, and um, coached a little bit before I made my way to uh, USDA Florida. But um, you know, ever since I've been nine years old, tennis has just been such a big part of my life, and it's really you know hold a special place in my heart since since I first held a racket in my hand. So. And, and Mag, even within your own self, you're very diverse. You come from Canada. Then you went to school in Miami, which yeah. had to be like very, very different. And then here you are in Orlando and you also recently became a USPTA certified teaching professional. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. 
you really have had a wide experience. And uh, again, we benefit from that. So we're very grateful to have you. Ron, why don't you go next? How did you get involved in tennis? Okay. So for me, my tennis journey started in high school. Um, I tried out for our no-cut uh, high school tennis team, and I was so bad. Like, I was so bad. And I had never been that bad at anything in my life. So I just started training a lot with a coach and I fell in love with the sport of tennis. So after graduating high school, what I did was I was like, I really want to work in tennis one day. I love this sport so much. So what I'm gonna do is get a sport management degree. So one day I'll work in tennis. And then after graduating college, what I did was I moved to Florida because I wanted to pursue a career in tennis and I knew that Florida was one day gonna be the tennis mecca with the national campus and um, everything going on. So I decided to do that. And then I started working at one of the local facilities in Orlando and learned so much from them from on court, inside, everywhere. Um, I gained so much knowledge from them. And then a few years later, um, just volunteering with USCA Florida. I started working for USCA Florida, and here I am today as diversity and outreach coordinator. So, And that's actually kind of full circle in my mind for you because I met you when we were doing the Tennis Paratotos Outreach Initiative, and you were charged with being the DJ at Lake Kane, and yes. that was a hilarious experience. So. Um, that's how I got to know you, Ronald, initially before you even came to work for us. So you've really been involved in our diversity initiatives since, you know, you first came to Florida and it's nice that you maybe took a little bit of a detour and you came back to us, but I know it's something that you've always uh, worked on. You've helped us with the Special Olympics and, uh, in the past, even in your previous role. And, and you've just, you've had a passion for that. And it's, it's really nice to kind of see you now in this new role. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. So, Danielle, how did you get in tennis? You've got a great story, too, so I can't wait to hear. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in New York City, and, you know, there weren't that many opportunities to play tennis, obviously, but I was always part of my life, um, and then continued it as we moved into the suburbs in Westchester County. Did play college, but not the same caliber as Ms. Magali here, Division <laughs> I. Um, SUNY Oswego wasn't, you know, the metropolis for tennis, but um, it just remained as part of my life and then continued into the uh, behind the scenes administrative part with the USTA. Was with uh, the pro circuit for 19 years, managing the men's and women's circuit. And that gave me such a great experience, um, just knowing more about the behind the scenes of the sport, including the community aspect of uh, what we did in throughout the whole country. And then it led me to to USA Florida. Yeah, that's something that I think is really a great connecting point is that people don't always think pro circuit and community tennis, but there is a heavy aspect of community outreach in those pro circuit events. And I know Magalie was heavily involved in that as well uh, several years back. And so this is kind of a nice merging of a lot of different talents and passions into one team. and. Um, just very, very grateful to have all of you now in the same spot, kind of working, working together. It's nice how it worked out. So let's talk a little bit about community tennis. Uh, a lot of people might not know exactly what that means, and it might mean different things to different people. So Danielle, I'm going to stick with you for a little bit here. How would you describe or define what this team does to fulfill our mission? 
Thanks, Laura. Um, well, first off, I have a great team. I have an eight-member team uh, with the majority of the members being out in the field. And so I think that really does uh, tie into how we reach out to the community. Uh, we are part, we are the department, I would say, that um, is primarily focused on introducing tennis to communities in the state that may not necessarily have tennis opportunities in their community. So we are there to um, introduce the sport and to show how easy it is to learn the sport. Uh, sort of break down those barriers that uh, may accompany um, the sport of tennis into understanding that you don't need a tennis sport. You can have um, the blacktop of a parking lot or the gym of a school um, to learn the fundamentals of the sport and, and actually have such a great time doing it because the sport has really changed through the years and has proven to be not only a sport of a lifetime, but a sport for everybody. So we can have these activities with both kids and adults, and they they see that they can learn the sport and then hopefully move on to um, either the youth or the adult world. That's a great, uh, you know, just great description. And we hear a lot about building the base you know, people talk about that pyramid and how, you know, the one percenter at the top and, you know, who's building the base. And I think the work that you all do, um, as well as the, the work of the field staff and the other departments, that's really what you're doing is you're building the base. You're building that grassroots majority of players. And a lot of times you're the first point of contact that they even have with us. Um, so I think this this team in particular usually is the first step to fulfilling our mission. If we don't have a strong community team, the rest of what we do tends to not be as strong either. So let's talk about adaptive play. You guys know that this is one thing that I'm very, very passionate about, and we've made it a strategic priority for us over the last two years. We have two major partner organizations that work alongside of us uh, to grow adaptive tennis. We decided to do that because we were not experts in that space and they were. We're very fortunate to have them. So Ronald, I'm gonna uh, put you on the spot here and can you talk a little bit about what the state of play is, uh, what we're hearing from those organizations and how those athletes uh, in the adaptive space are engaging during this suspension uh, of play period. Yeah, definitely. So we've been in constant communication with Love Serving Autism and Special Olympics Florida. Um, those organizations have decided to extend their suspension until the end of June. Um, so this was a decision that was determined because so many of their individuals have pre-existing conditions. And what we want to do with USA Florida, we want to make sure that we're abiding by those safety rules that they have. Um, and they will not resume until their boards make that decision. Um, even though everything has been canceled with Love Serving Autism and Special Olympics Florida, they're very engaged virtually. So Love Serving Autism, they're doing many uh, Zoom classes. Those Zoom classes, they make sure that the families are engaged, the participants are engaged, everyone is engaged and Special Olympics Florida, what they're doing, they're taking more of a health uh, health approach. So they're focusing on challenges to make sure that those families are being fit at home. So even though everything is canceled right now, the organizations that we've partnered with 
they have adapted so well to everything that's going on. What's interesting about that is culturally they're used to adapting, you know, that that's something that they excel at. And I, I think it, they've really um, come out shining in uh, this particular instance, their ability to kind of pivot and go online and offer fitness, wellness um, mm -hmm. has been very inspiring to see. Uh, so we're very fortunate to have them as our partners. You mentioned family a lot. And um, I think if there's maybe a silver lining to the COVID pandemic, it's that family, uh, particularly here in Florida, became much more active in these last two months. We have great weather. So families here were like, OK, I can't I can't do the, the things that I might normally do. I'm going to get outside. You know, I'm going to buy a bicycle. I'm going to do these activities. So um, this is an open question for any or all of you. How do you think families can continue to play together and stay safe now that our tennis facilities are reopening and what makes tennis such a great option for families to play together? I'll take it first. Um, you know, even before um, COVID-19 sort of shut everything down, we were really family events um, and learning together um, was one of our strategic priorities. So we were encouraging a lot of facilities throughout the whole state to hold family play events. We call them family play events. And what we do is we help that site run that event and support them in any way that they need to make that event super fun. So we would have um, maybe an hour or two of an activity-based session where we have music, we have snacks, we have um, different courts going on, and we have um, a, whatever you call a family unit. You know, you can have grandpa and, and granddaughter or aunt and nephew father and daughter, and they're learning the sport together. Um, so come the pandemic, uh, I think it's still such a great opportunity for families to continue those fundamentals that we have as part of the activities, whether it's in the living room, whether it's in the dining room, and it's, it's um, with a pan, if you don't have a racket, you can continue learning together as a family. Now, here we are with the reopening of, of different facilities, and I still encourage this sport because it is luckily one of the sports that we can play safely. So it's one where you can be either um, singles playing or as a family, you're just on your court. You don't really have to engage with anyone else around at the facility. If that is a major concern, you come in, you go straight to your court, you have your own balls, um, and, and then you leave. So it is still such a great sport, um, regardless of what's happening. Um, but now, even more so with the concern of safety, I still feel as if this is a family event that you can do and with so much fun. And what people um, need to know is that Danielle's entire family plays tennis. <laughs> her kids play tennis, her husband plays tennis. So. Um, they have a very active tennis family there. Um, so when she's speaking, she's speaking from experience there. Yeah, and you know, engaged. it's so true, Laura, because we come in with our own chairs. We, you know, we have our own towels and we have our own balls. Um, there really isn't a need to interact with anyone. Um, so yes, it's, it's a great sport um, with safety concerns and guidelines.
Well, thank you very much. I, I think that's something that I would love to see, particularly in the month of June, as more of the public parks reopen, is the families that have been outside and active and doing things, you know, get out and try tennis. It's a great way. And uh, we have adaptive equipment, you know, that you can get out with and everybody can play regardless of their, their skill level or age. So stay on the family side for a, a little bit. Um, and uh, this one is a little bit uh, humorous. You know, I know many parents are, are probably very eager to know if schools are going to reopen in the fall. <laughs> the homeschooling thing, I think, uh, uh, definitely took a toll on some of the parents. Um, so Magalie, um, you are the one that works mostly with the schools. What are you hearing from our school's partners about how they expect to operate in the fall? And do you think that we'll see fewer after-school programs given the COVID-19 environment? Yeah, so, um, you know, with or without um, the pandemic, um, when, when you work with the schools, uh, you have to be very, you know, uh, flexible as far as what it looks like in the different counties that we serve here in the state of Florida. So. Um, I think very similarly with the situation and what we're hearing from, you know, the P administrators, which we have great relationships with here in Florida, as far as what they're expecting for, for the fall. Um, again, right now it's very hard for them to, to tell us anything. I feel like they probably don't even know themselves. So, and, you know, we just expect for it to look very differently um in you know the different counties that we serve so you know right now from a usd national perspective and a usd of florida perspective we're just already all really committed to you know continuing to serve the pe teacher in the schools and their students like we've been doing for many years with the school programs and just have as many resources and tools as possible so that no matter what PE looks like in the fall, we have something that they can use if they want to bring tennis to their student, whether it's virtually or while doing, you know, social distancing PE classes. So um, I know from, you know, a national perspective, like I mentioned, and from a section perspective, all 17 sections are working really hard to sort of sort of recreate a little bit, you know, the curriculums that we already have in place for the PE teachers to to utilize just to make sure that we have something no matter what happens. And um, to go a little bit more into the after school, um, recently I was on a webinar um, for, for the National After School Organization and you know, I think they're going to go hand in hand. So if obviously if schools reopen, I think after school is going to be right there with them. And similarly, I think they're adjusting, you know, their their way of doing things. I know a lot of times after school programs are maybe uh, still using, you know, paper for signing and sign out. So I think on uh, just from on their side, they're, you know, adjusting to the situation and making sure that they're going more virtual and online payments and those sorts of things. So um, I think, you know, if, if we see the schools reopen in the fall, then after school is going to be right there with them. And, you know, same thing as we're doing for the schools, we're, we're getting ready to 
whatever after school looks like, we want to be there to, to help them if they want to bring tennis to, you know, keep their kids active and, you know, while they're, while they're there after school. So, you know, it was, um, a little bit surprising, but also very encouraging, uh, on Friday when the governor announced that youth sports activities should be able to return. And, uh, we definitely were not expecting that, but when we heard that announcement, it gave me uh, more optimism to say, okay, so we are on a good path to bring back uh, summer camps and other types of, of after-school programs and the things that we really have a lot of questions about and kind of how you can uh, you know, bring youth together to play and be active. So I took that as a really positive sign and hopefully in the near future, we're going to get some more positivity. We still have to hear from the different counties and they all get to make their decisions, which makes all of this really hard to navigate for sure. Um, but certainly at least having the state say that, you know, youth activities are important and can be done safely is, is a step in the right direction. So fingers crossed we'll be able to do, do some great things this fall. You talked a lot about virtual. Um, I know Ronald did too when he was talking about the adaptive space. Um, so my question uh, to all of you is what opportunities do you see for USTA Florida to serve our providers and our communities virtually this year and maybe in the future? I'll start off, you know, I think with our department, we have um, a very strong educational aspect to it. Um, in what we do, even though we are event-based, we we have a lot of volunteers that help us. And um, we want to make sure that everyone comes to uh, whatever platform we have, whether it's a court, whether it's a school, whether um, it's uh, a recreation center, um, ready and comfortable with what we want them to do um, in the activities. So using the virtual platforms, I think, has shown and proven to be so successful in this atmosphere that we live in today. And I see us creating those kind of training um, uh, videos for our volunteers um, and have them watch them before they come to the events that we hold. Yeah, that's a great idea. I know we talked a little bit recently about that and we have this new volunteer ACEs initiative and so often one of the questions we get asked from someone who wants to volunteer is like, well, what, what am I expected to do? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we typically bring them in the hour before the event starts and we give them kind of a crash course on here's what you can expect. Having the power of using virtual platforms and connections to be able to say, hey, here's a video that will show you what your experience might look like and things to consider and what you might need to know might prompt them to ask some questions, uh, but help them feel more prepared. So uh, hearing you say that, Danielle, and just kind of hearing some of our partners say similar things, I'm very excited to see what we can come up with through that volunteer ACES program. And, and like you said, Magalie, for the school teachers and others to say, how do we leverage this space um, so that people can take the training when it's convenient for them and easy for them. My last question for all of you is the question I and I end all of the podcast on, which is uh, I would like to hear from each of you. What would you like to hear from our communities about ways we can support them in this new normal? 
So Mag or Ron, do you, either one of you want to start? I'll go. So for me, I would say that I like to hear them say that they want more virtual training opportunities. I know since I oversee the adaptive space, I know that we have a lot of trainings. And I just know that those people would want more training and just receiving more information for the future and just having us uh, take a deeper dive into the new safety guidelines that I know that are to come in the future. How about you, Meg? What would you like to hear from our communities about how we can support them? Well, I mean, for sure for me, I would probably address, you know, my question to the PE teachers, the schools, the after schools. I mean, they're going to be the experts really in what is going on when they do return back to their program with the kids there. So, I mean, what is it, you know, that we're not currently doing that we could be doing to really just, you know, make their make their job and make their life so much easier and keeping their kids active and engaged with the sport of tennis. I mean, that was our goal before and it's still our goal now. So, you know, just just let us know because, you know, they're the experts. We don't claim to be so. <laughs> so, Danielle, I'll give you kind of the last one. What do you think you would like to hear from communities about how we can support them in the new normal environment? Yeah, I'll round out what, you know, the team has said so far, you know, and, and bring in the, the tennis service representatives that are um, the boots on the ground and have them really um, check in with our providers to see, you know, what is it that we can do for you at a facility um, level and as a provider um, as to uh, what you need from us. You know, you, you're so good, Lauren, in making sure that USD Florida is a resource and uh, I can see us continuing to be so in this atmosphere. That's my hope. You know, that's why we're here. So hopefully uh, to all of you listening who serve the community, whether you are a provider um, at a club or a public park, whether you're a PE teacher, whether you're a volunteer, whatever role you have in the community, um, please, you know, take some time to share your thoughts. Uh, with us. We're very accessible. Um, and this team, uh, as Danielle said, is nine people strong and they're out in the community. So please, you know, reach out to any of us at any time and let us know uh, what we can do to help. So with that, um, I want to thank you all for taking the time today to share your perspectives with us. Uh, I really appreciate you having uh, you being here and all that you do for us. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. Laura. For those of you listening to the podcast, just a reminder that the video will be posted on our Facebook page and we invite you to share your ideas, thoughts, and comments with us in the thread underneath the Facebook post. And for a full schedule of our podcasts and the dates, including the topics, please visit USTAflorida.com slash here to serve. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you on the courts soon.